Take your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45 tonight. Genesis chapter 45. Obviously, with Thanksgiving come up, coming right up here on Thursday, we're excited about that. And I, I somewhat wanted to speak a little bit on that topic, but uh, as uh, I felt the Lord leading me to this passage, that's what we're going to go with tonight. If it turns into a Thanksgiving message, it does. If it turns into a I don't know, salvation message, we'll go with that. You know, wherever this thing takes us, that's where we'll go, okay? Genesis chapter 45. Let me ask you tonight, have you ever had one of those days where you just received nothing but bad news? Yes. I know I don't have many of those days. That's not, I'm, I'm just kind of one of those guys that takes the day as it goes. You know, I, I try talking to my wife, motivational speaking to my wife. You know, she has a lot of bad days that just everything kind of piles up on one another. I don't have a lot of those days. Usually one bad thing happens and I just go drink a Dr. Pepper and get over it. You know, that's, that's, you know, now it's chicken express tea. That's what I'm drinking and it's a boost. But yesterday my wife had one of those days. She was telling me, you know, I know it's a bad day when I call my wife and she's like, oh, it's just been one of those days. And she says it in a demonic voice. Now, not a fallen angel voice, but a demonic voice. Okay. And, uh. And so yesterday, this is what happened. Her morning went like this. We, we woke up. We went to a visitation. We had a few visits to make. She told me that she needed to be at home by 1130 before, uh, because she had to get banana pudding up here for the funeral reception. So uh, I said, all right, that'll be fine. So we come up here to the church. We went visiting. Uh, took her home at right about 11 o'clock. And we went on and made another visit. And so at 1130, she was home and she went to Walmart. She still had to get banana pudding. So she goes and she gets her banana pudding. She comes home and she realizes that she bought the wrong type of banana pudding. She, instead of buying the instant banana pudding, which everybody that loves banana pudding loves, she bought the cook and serve banana pudding, okay? Apparently these are totally different. Now I'm no Rachel Ray, but apparently they're very different. One of them is much more instant than the other, as far as I understand. So she said, oh, that's all right. This one's cook and serve. We can do that. I'm a good cook, so I'll cook and serve this. That'd be great. So I'm going to combine it all up on the stove. I'm going to cook it so it takes milk, takes the the pudding, I guess. And and she gets to cooking it. And uh, apparently through this process, she she, uh, smells that she scolded her milk. Now, I'm not really sure if that's a bad thing, but apparently it is, okay? So she tells me, oh, I scolded my milk this morning, it's terrible. So now we've got scolded milk and banana pudding. But now this is her thinking process. Well, the scolded milk is only going to be on the bottom of the pan. And so I will try cooking it, chilling it, and then I will try it to see if it's okay, the rest of the pudding's okay. Well, she does chill it, she then commences to eat it, and to her chagrin... It is all scalded. All of it's terrible. It's, it's just absolutely unedible. So she decides that she has to go get some instant banana pudding. Well, she knows Walmart doesn't have it. She runs up to Aldi. Aldi doesn't have it. She goes to Target. Target does have it. And we don't support the homosexual support in Target very much. But apparently I brought that to her attention last night. Please never go to... Yeah, so... But uh, she anyway, she decided to, uh, you know, lay her all on the altar and walk into Target... And uh, she goes in and she gets uh, instant banana pudding. And she comes home and apparently this is the instant brand. And so she whips it right up. She comes on up to the church dressed in banana pudding covered clothing, not very nice clothing. She comes up to the church, drops the banana pudding off, calls me and says, what would you like for lunch? 
And I said, well, I'm here at the funeral, honey. I'm, 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 I'm going to stay for the funeral. You didn't tell me you were staying for the funeral. So she now understands that she needs to come up for the funeral. And so she has 15 minutes to make it home and back from my house, which is behind Walmart, all the way back here to the church in 15 minutes, which is impossible and change. And all this, she's doing this in a truck that has been on the E button, you know, with a little light flashing for the past 20 miles. OK, so she's a little worried about that. And so she uh, she decides she's going to go to her good friend, Jamie Olson's house. And she calls her up. She says, hey, I need some clothes to wear. So she goes over to Jamie's house, gets some clothes to wear, fits into her Chinese feet uh, shoes. And and so she squeezing them on and uh, she's coming up to the funeral. She comes up to the funeral uh, and now I won't have any friends after this sermon. My wife won't talk to me. Jamie won't talk to me. Cody can't talk to me because he's, you know, Jamie's. And so it's going to be a real problem now. This, it's no good. I, I hope this works all right for me. So anyway, so this all happens. She comes up to the funeral. The funeral's done. Uh, now my wife says, what would you like for lunch? And so she brings to my attention that we're coming back up here for a Thanksgiving supper immediately after uh, about five o'clock. So it's not too long but before then. And so I say, how about you just run by Taco Bell, grab us some chicken quesadillas, just one, and we'll, we'll eat that and kind of hold us over. So she does that. Well, she goes into Taco Bell, gets our chick, she gets me a chicken, chicken quesadilla and her a chicken burrito, I guess. She's pulling out and that's a really hard place to get out of right there behind Walgreens because there's like a billion people coming this way on Hidden Creek Parkway. A billion people going this way and 7,000 people behind you yelling at you, okay? And so my wife is very patient, a little bit like a grandma driver. And um, she, and so she's sitting there. The, she's the next one to go, but she's not going because she's intimidated. Now, me, I just whip it out. It's like, you don't want to mix paint with me. Mine's red and yours is blue. You don't want my paint on yours. So uh, I just go. But she's a lot more cautious than me. And so she's st- sitting there, sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. And in her rearview mirror, she can see this lady just getting more and more aggravated. Now this lady honks at her, lifts her arms up, and my wife said that she had to censor her mouth as she was yelling at her. You know, she's just yelling insistently, and she's just yelling as loud as she can. And so my wife gets all upset. She ends up going because she couldn't go at the time. She's really upset. She comes home, and now I'm just waiting for my chicken quesadilla, and she comes in, she a lady cussed me out in the Walgreens parking lot. This is the worst day ever. And so then, that, this is not the bad thing. Now, she has to cook a stuffing for the Thanksgiving dinner last night for the young professionals. And she cooks it. Uh, we have 55 minutes before we're supposed to be there. And she looks at the packet and it says, this needs to cook for an hour. <laughs> and she goes... Oh, good thing this doesn't have to cook for an hour. I was like, well, you should have bought the instant stuff. And I don't know, but I mean, you just need to calm down on the cooking and buy more instant stuff anyway. And so, uh, so she goes on to, she proceeds to make it. And this is what I hear as I'm sitting in front of the television. And it all falls out everywhere. And now my dogs are lapping it up as it's on the floor. They're like, this is the greatest day ever. Free instant stuffing! And so they're eating. 
and my wife is cursing expletives. Oh, it's just absolutely terrible. I'm like, testimony, testimony, virgin ears, virgin ears. And she's not listening. And it's a terrible situation. Now, apparently, the bag is a perfect measurement. And so she doesn't have the perfect measurement now. And so she's all upset because now she has to remeasure it all. And all this, it was just a terrible, terrible day. Have you ever had one of those days where it was just bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news? Amen. Well, today we're going to talk about a guy that had nothing but good news. So much good news that he says, it's too much. I can't take anymore. Now, how many of us have had those days? Not me. (laughs) Okay. It's like, bring on the good and down with the, you know, bad stuff, but bring on the good. Well, today we're going to talk about a man who had too much good news. And we start right here in verse 25, in chapter 45, in verse 25. The Bible says, And they went up out of Egypt, and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. And Israel said, It is enough! Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you bless this sermon. I pray that you bless these few moments as we proceed to delve into your word. And Lord, may we receive something from you tonight. Lord, I pray that your word would be magnified. And I pray that your son, Jesus Christ, would be magnified tonight. And I pray that you would just do a great work in the hearts of the listeners. And it's in your son's name I do pray. Amen. Too much good news. Now, our story starts long before this. I mean, uh, we're going back chapters and chapters before what we just read. Let me just start. It, It somewhat starts out like this, okay? There's a man named Jacob, and he's watering some cattle at a well. One day he looks over, and there is a hottie at the well, okay? He looks over, and her name is Rachel. He sees Rachel, and the Bible says she was very, very beautiful. Jacob then proceeds to talk to her, gets to know her. And, uh, and so he understands now that it is Laban, his uncle, and it is his daughter. Now, he's excited, so he goes to Laban and says, Now, I've seen your daughter. She's beautiful. I, I, I like everything about her. Easy with a love word, teenagers, okay? I like everything about her. And, and so uh, uh, he's excited about it, and he goes to Laban. He says, I'll tell you what, Laban. I will work for you for seven years. Now, y'all know the story, right? I will work for you for seven years if you'll give me your daughter to marry. Now, this is kind of a crazy story because Laban says, Yeah, that'll be, that'll be great, Jacob. All right, sounds good. Now, what he, Rachel actually had a sister, and we all know who her sister was. Her name was Leah. Now, the Bible does not describe her as beautiful. It describes her as tender-eyed. That was the best compliment the Bible could give this lady. Well, she's got nice eyes. <laughs> and so that's, that's Leah, if you can imagine. Leah, nice eyes, and Rachel, beautiful. And Jacob, this whole time, works for seven years. And the Bible says it seemed but as a few days to Jacob because he was so in love with, with uh, Rachel. Now as they're going to get married, and Jacob's excited about the day. Laban then gives his daughter, but he sneaks a fast one on Jacob. And it's not Rachel at all, is it? We know the story. He sneaks Leah in on him. And he marries Leah. 
And Jacob goes to Laban and says, what have you done to me? I, I, I was working for, for, for Rachel and you gave me Leah. And, and Laban says, I'll tell you what, that, that, that can't happen in our land. We always have to give away the older daughter first. So, but if you want to work another seven years, like a good salesman, right? Laban's a good salesman. He says, you want to work another seven years, I'll give you Rachel. And Jacob was so in love with Rachel. He said, you know what, that'll be fine. See, Jacob didn't love Leah. He loved Rachel, right? And so he works another seven years for Laban. And he finally is awarded Rachel, the love of his life. Now this very crazy thing begins to happen as Jacob is married to these two sisters. Now you talk about some tension in the household. Which sister is going to get more love from the husband, right? Well, it's going to be Rachel because he's, that's the one that he truly loves. And so Leah is able to have children, but Rachel is not. The love of his life cannot have children. So what happens is, Leah is the one bearing him children, but the one that he loves is not actually giving him any children. Now this causes a lot of friction, because with every single child, Leah says, maybe this is the one that he'll love me on. Maybe this is the one that I can give him this son, and, and Rachel's not doing him any good. Maybe he'll love me now. And this jealousy type, revenge type, uh, cloud starts hanging over the household and, and Rachel and Leah are always at it. Well, finally, after a while, God opens up Rachel's womb and she gives him a son and his name is Joseph. Now we know who Joseph is and, and the story goes on and, and not only does Rachel give him one son, he, she gives him another and his name is Benjamin. She gives him two sons, and, and Leah gives him a few, and, and, and their uh, handmaidens give Jacob a few. And, and that's really where the story happens. Now we know what happens after this, right? Jacob is, uh, Joseph is the one that's loved. Joseph is the one that's preferred over all of them, right? I mean, you know why? Because he's the one from the true woman he truly loves. He loved Rachel, and God did a miracle and gave them Joseph. And now we see, you know, the ten brothers, they start to get together. And they say, I can't stand the way Dad looks at him. I can't stand the way Dad prefers him. I mean, he even gave him a coat of many colors. I mean, he didn't give me anything, and they begin to conspire against him. And then we know what, know what happens. They throw him in a pit and they're going to kill him. And, and one of them steps up and says, let's not kill him. I see over in the distance a group of Ishmaelites and we can just sell him and make some money off all of this. And now uh, uh, they sell Joseph and, and they bring back this coat of many colors. And the Bible says they dip it in sheep's blood and they bring it to their father and say, look what we found. Look what we found. It's funny, Jacob's life was full of deception and now he's ret it's getting returned to him later in his life. You will reap what you sow. And the Bible is very clear. They bring this coat to Jacob and they say, Jacob, fa our father, look what happened. Is this Joseph's coat like they didn't know? Is this Joseph's coat? That's Joseph's. That, that's Joseph's. That's one of the only things I have left of Rachel. Because Rachel died when she was giving birth to Benjamin. And now he doesn't have Rachel. He doesn't have Joseph. And Jacob is torn up inside. He's in so much pain. 
And now we know the story as Joseph begins to, uh, he's sold into slavery. He begins to work at Potiphar's house. The Lord is with him the whole time. So he's just elevating and elevating. And now he's uh, a leader in Potiphar's house. And then he's doing fine for himself. And then he's sent to prison because he flees from Potiphar's deceitful wife. And now as uh, Joseph is Uh, In prison, remember the story of the baker and the butler, how they both have dreams and he interprets both of them. And then he goes on, uh, they go to the uh, Pharaoh's palace and they both forget about him until one day Pharaoh has a vision that none of his dream interpreters can interpret. And one of them steps up and they say, you know what? When I was in prison, there was a guy in there that I had a dream one night and, and, and it came true just like he said. And so they bring Joseph up out of prison and he comes up and he interprets the the famine, the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine, the Pharaoh's dream. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And then all this happens. And now Joseph is elevated as second in command in Egypt. And that's where our story is. We find ourselves in amidst a large famine in the land. The Bible says it's the second year of a famine. And Jacob and, his, and Joseph's 11 other brothers are dying of hunger. And this is what jo- Jacob says. He says, you know what, guys? We have to have food. Egypt is the only place with food. How about you go and, and get us some food so that we can survive and so that we can eat? And, and they go and Joseph hides his identity and says, oh, I need to see Benjamin. Y'all know this story. And he says, you're spies. You're just spies. I need to know that, I need to know that your father's alive and I need to see Benjamin. But the whole time he never revealed himself unto him. Remember that? And now, just in this chapter... Joseph reveals himself unto them. And it's this absolutely crazy emotional story. And this is where we find our passage today. So much good news that he said, I can't take it anymore. You know what? If we're going to have a happy Thanksgiving and one that we can reflect on the blessings of God, I want to give you some good news tonight. First of all, I want to look at this part of the good news. The sun is alive. The sun is alive. I mean, can you imagine being Jacob? Your favorite son is dead. As far as you know, and for the past 10 years of your life, you've not heard of him. You've not seen of him. You've only had the garment that I'm sure you looked at every once in a while covered in blood. You're so sure he's dead. You don't have your, the love of your life in Rachel. All you have is Benjamin. But you love Joseph so much. Could you imagine being the son that got to come in and give Jacob the news? Dad. Dad, Joseph, he's alive. Joseph is alive, Father. Joseph, the one that we thought was dead. Ten years ago this all happened. We thought that he was dead, but Joseph is alive. Could you imagine the feeling as a parent? Could you imagine the emotion that would overtake you? Your your son was dead and now he's gone. I mean, now there's hope. Now there's life. I mean, you you can see him. This story is so emotional, but it's very similar to another one in the Bible. When one Sunday morning, a young lady goes through the garden and she goes to a tomb and she sees that the body of Jesus is not where it had been laying. 
And she looks over at a man that she supposes to be the gardener and she says, Sir, if you'll just tell me what you've done with with the body of my Lord, I'll go anoint it with spices. I'll take him off your hands. And he says, Mary. She says, Rabboni, Pastor, is that you? Is that you, Lord? Let me just tell you this today. I don't know the direction that America is going in. I, I, I tell you what, it hurt me the other night, the way the election turned out. I was distraught. I was literally depressed for a few moments. And then I bowed my head in prayer and, and it was almost like the Lord says, Hey, I'm still alive. I'm still on the throne. Jesus Christ has never passed away. He's the only one in history that, that can say I've risen from the dead and he has power over death, hell and the grave. I would have liked to have been there the morning when death, old death, walked over and began to take role in the city of the dead. I would have loved to have been there. Muhammad, are you here? Present. Buddha, are you here? Present. Great men. Socrates, are you here? Here. Jesus. Jesus, where are you at? I can almost hear the voice of an angel say, He is not here, for He is risen as He said. You look, my friend, I don't know where America is going. And I don't know where the adults that, that are supposed to lead this country are taking us. And I don't know where the teenagers and the next generation are going. But I know one thing, and this one thing I know for a fact, that Jesus Christ is still alive, and He's still on the throne. And though death may come at my door, and though every painful thing may take, take place in my life and happen to me, the one thing that I am assured of is that Jesus Christ is still Lord. You see, if we go this week and we don't give thanks to the living Savior of the universe, we are defeating the whole purpose of Christianity. The Son is still alive. You see, there's reason to be thankful. That's good news. Right there we could stop and we could all go home and say, that's enough. That is enough. That is all I need to know that the Savior's alive. But not only is the son alive, secondly, the son is accepting. The son is accepting. Now take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 37. Now I know we all know the story, but in Genesis chapter 37, in verse 18, remember this is what they say. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Now, come now, therefore, and let us slay him. Then cast him into some pit, and we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him. And we shall see what will become of this dreamer. Remember his brothers, they conspire against him. They're going to kill him at first. One of them steps up, and they say, No, let's not kill him. They sell him to the Ishmaelites. Could you imagine being there when he reveals, I'm your older brother, Joseph. Decked out in Egyptian garb, second in command, he literally holds your life in his hands because he doesn't have to give you food. And now you're one of the ten brothers that conspired against this dreamer. And he looks down at you and says, I'm your brother. Could you imagine the fear that would overtake you? 
I remember not too many summers ago, I was home and I was, I usually do most of the sighting in. So like before deer season, I'll go sight in our rifles. I didn't this year. Apparently I'm too busy for that this year, but uh, I didn't sight in the deer rifles this year, but I usually go and I'll sight them in and, and usually I'll try sighting my dad's bow in before, now this happened a long time ago, so I was trying to sight his bow in. Now bows are a little tricky because you know, if they're sighted in for one guy, that doesn't necessarily mean they're sighted in for another person because your eye is always different. The way you hold the bow is always different. So I took my dad's bow out of the case because I knew he hadn't shot in a long time. And I was just going to get it close for him, close to the bullseye. So I go and I back up about 20 steps. You usually want to start pretty close. And I draw the bow and I get it right here behind my anchor point, right here where it's constant. And I shoot. And the arrow flies about 10 feet over the target. Now, if that were the end of the story, it would be a happy one. But I hear... I hear glass crackling. And uh, at this moment, I'm a lot less worried about sighting in the bow or the arrow or anything like that. I just need to go see what happened. Because mom's expedition's parked over there and... I could probably blame it on her, just say she hit a tree or something. She'd never know. But no, uh, mom's expedition's over there, and, and, and the office is over there. So I run over there, and I look, and I'm having trouble finding it. But I look, and literally right in the very bottom corner of this window, this arrow hit. And it just barely took a piece of glass out of there. It cracked a little bit. So I grabbed the arrow... I go put dad's bow up and go watch cartoons. <laughs> now, I'm talking about months after this. Confession is not that good for the soul, let's be honest, okay? <laughs> months after this happened, we're sitting at the lunch table. And I'm eating, and I remember hearing, you know, something happened to the window in the office. Hmm. Could have been water leakage, not necessarily on me. You know, it is cracked right at the very bottom corner. Could have been squirrels, you never know. It was like something small about the, di- the, the, the width of your finger. It just, it just hit. No, that one's me. <laughs> yeah, that, that's me. And so I was like, Dad, I, I was shooting your bow and the arrow might have... Might have uh, missed the target. And that moment when you feel you're caught, you know, months I didn't feel bad about it. I, honestly, I'd kind of forgotten about it. But I remember when he said, something happened to the office window. It was like my chest fell to my toes, man. It was like, okay, well, man, that lunch was good. Oh, we're only at appetizers. Whatever, I'm stuffed. I'm going to go. Yeah, too much Dr. Pepper, you know. But no, that moment when you feel you're caught, you know what I'm talking about. That's what happens to these guys. They're sitting there. They're like, we need food. We need food, please. We're not spies. We're not spies. We need food. And Joseph stands up and says, I can't take it anymore. Guys, I'm your oldest brother. I'm Joseph. (sighs) Oh, man. Well, Joseph, we did you a little wrong, would you say? You can say that. I mean, could you imagine that moment? But here's the beautiful part of the story. He never brings it up. 
He never ever once mentions it. Later on, after Jacob dies, they are worried because they're like, oh, now that our father's dead, you're you're probably going to take it out on us. We're your servants. And he says, no, what y'all meant for evil, God meant it for good. In Genesis chapter 50, he says, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. He never worried about it. He forgave them. You know what? I'm glad that I don't live under the tyranny of my sin. I'm glad that I don't live under the oppression of the skeletons in my closet. I'm so thankful that long ago when I bowed my head and I asked the Lord Savior Jesus Christ into my heart, that He forgave me right then and there. The Bible says in in 1 John chapter 1, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible says, in whom we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins according to His riches of His grace. I'm telling you, my friend, I'm glad I don't live under the tyranny of my sin. I'm glad that Jesus doesn't dangle it over my head like a puppet master dangles a puppet. Oh, you can't do that. I'm glad he does it. I'm glad he's forgiven me. You see this this next week, if we go all week and we don't thank him for his forgiveness and we don't thank him for his grace and we don't thank him for his mercy. What are we doing, Christian? That's enough good news for me. Not only did he forgive us, but he forgot it all. Joseph never once brings it up. The Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 43. uh, I, I, even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember them anymore. Psalm chapter 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And I'm so thankful that one day I'll stand before God and he'll say, what's your answer for your sin? And I'll have no answer except Jesus Christ will then stand up and say, He's forgiven. He's forgotten. Lord, you don't remember them anymore. They were plunged under the blood at the cross of Calvary. I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful that the Son doesn't bring up my past failures every time I go to Him in prayer. I'm thankful for that. Oh, it's such good news that He's forgiven us. And that He's forgotten our sins. Not only is the Son alive, not only is the Son accepting, but look finally, if you will, the Son is able. The Son is able. In verse 26, could you imagine being the sons that came up to Jacob and said, Hey, look, Father, Joseph is alive. And this is crazy, but not only is he alive, he's second in the command of Egypt. The nation, the only nation that has food, the only nation that has a storehouse prepared for those that didn't prepare for themselves, the only nation, that's the one that he's in charge of. And they come to Jacob and they look at him and they say, Oh, Father, right here in verse 26, uh, Joseph is yet alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. Look here in verse 5 and verse 7 of Uh, chapter 45, the Bible says, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve your life. For these two years hath been the famine in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterior in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Could you imagine as these men stand before their, 
their brother and they have to look at him knowing they did him wrong, knowing they sold him into slavery, knowing all of that. And knowing that he holds your life in his hands. And then right here, knowing that he has the ability to save your life. I look at this passage and I see that Joseph was fully well capable of taking care of them. He had the storehouse and the supply of Egypt. I mean, for seven years in a good part, uh, in good growing seasons, in good growth in Egypt, he was uh, rationing it out. And I'm sure others were looking at him like, hey, times are good. What, what are you doing? Why are you making us uh, uh, distribute this? Why are you making us save some? And they're thankful now it's two years into the drought. Nobody has food. He's fully well capable of taking care of them. He goes back and he sends Benjamin back and his other brothers back with clothing and wagons full of everything. They, he says, come on in, you can, you can live here with me and you can, you can uh, taste of the good of the land. You know, there's another who's fully well capable of taking care of us. Amen. You see, so often Christians get caught up on such petty things like, man, I just don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I just don't know where the next job is coming from. I don't know how my family's going to make it. My friend, I promise you, there is a son that is fully well capable of taking care of you. He has all the power in his hand to give you whatever you need. Have you ever noticed that in life, people are plenty on promises and few on delivering? Have you ever noticed that? I, I, I love the infomercials on television, like the OxyClean. They're like, this will take the black out of asphalt, brother. You know what I mean? It's like, what? What? That doesn't even make sense. So like, this will take the tree out of the bark, you know? And so, what? And they do all these infomercials. I love the one where they spray rubber on the bottom of a boat. You know, it's like, we took this door here and we sprayed the entire bottom of the boat. And it floats all day. Really? How do I know all day? Because it looks like you're still by the bank. Have y'all ever seen that? It's, he's like three foot off the bank. You don't know what's under the boat. Uh, anyway, there, there, a lot of people have promises, but very few people are good on delivering, right? Yep. It's so funny to me. I remember when uh, my dad and I took our boat after the accident. No, this was actually before the accident. This is our boat motor started messing up, and so... We took our boat motor over to a guy that had been recommended to us and we spent like $800 over there for him to just tell us, yeah, the motor shot. It's like, dude, I could have just saved the money and shot you. It's like, we got plenty of spare bullets. Andrew didn't sight in the guns this year. We got plenty of spare bullets, you know. That was a reference to a previous joke made earlier. I didn't fly over real well. I'm sorry about that. But I know we went to this man and, and, and we were like, really? Is, 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 it's no good? I mean, not, he put a whole nother lower unit on it. Uh, the motor seemed to be fine. And he just said, yeah, it's shot. Like a mechanic, you know, you can't say, yeah, it's, it, it's no good. He, yeah, it's shot, all right. Just imagine a big dill of dip in my mouth. Yep, it's no good. You know, and that's that's what the guy sounded like. And you, you're like, OK, I kind of want to punch you in the throat right now, to be honest with you. And and, and I remember uh, we took the boat home and it was like, what do we do? 
we got a boat, doesn't have a door in the bottom of it, but uh, that was a reference to a previous joke, and that one worked a little bit better. And so, uh, you're, we, we, we had a boat, we had no motor, we're looking online, and like the cheapest motor we can find is like $5,000, and that's more than the boat cost, and so we just take it over to another guy, and we're like, hey, might as well give us your opinion on it. And he's like, you know what? I can fix this. And for about $1,500, which is a lot of money, he fixed our motor. You see, there's a lot of people that aren't capable of fixing what, what problems you have. Dr. Phil and Oprah aren't capable of fixing Christian split homes. Psychologists and counselors, they're not able to fix somebody that is saved, a regenerate Christian. They're not able. You know why? Because they don't know who lives inside of you. They don't know the power of the man inside of you. They don't know that the Spirit of God compels you to live like, a, like a, the Son of God and like, like Jesus Christ Himself. You know why we don't get along in our homes? Because we don't live like Christ. We're not little Christians. And you see... Uh, there's a lot of people that have answers. They promise you the world and they can't deliver a single thing. But Jesus Christ has the answer. Jesus Christ can fix our problems. Jesus Christ can take America. And yes, I believe that it's going down a, a long path to destruction. I believe that, but I promise you today, I have not lost my faith in that it takes one man to stand up and preach the, the Word of God and that he can lift high the cross of Jesus Christ and that many will see Jesus and repent and turn from their wicked ways. I'm not so silly to think that this land cannot have the testimony of Nineveh and just totally repent in sackcloth and ashes and turn back to our Lord and Savior. You see, Jesus Christ is fully well capable of taking care of us. He's fully well capable. But here's the question. Is He compassionate enough to? He is. Not only can He... He wants to. He wants to. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says, For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, and yet without sin. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy in our time of need. You see, Jesus wants to help you. And I believe this with all my heart. Jesus Christ sits up into heaven saying, come on, Jim Zorns, do you have a problem for me? Do you have a problem? I want to take care of it. Bring it to me. He says, Phil, you have a problem? I want to take care of it. He says, Brother Collins, you have a problem? I want to take care of it. Not only can he take care of it, he wants to. Guess what? We don't deserve that. What did we do to, to earn that? Absolutely nothing. He's just that good. Yeah, Joseph, they, they come to Joseph and Joseph says, Hey, forget all that in the past. Come on, I'll take care of you. I have all this grain stored up. The Lord's been good to me. He, he promoted me and now I'm, I'm in a great position. And you can receive the good of my blessing. because Just come on. Jesus is so good to us. He just says, just come on. You have issues. You have struggles. You have difficulties? Come on! That's what Jesus says. I love this Bible verse in Matthew 6. The Bible says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Now, I'll be honest with you. 
I'm probably not the best person in the room. I'll be honest with you. I'm probably not the best person on this platform. I'll be honest with you. I'm nowhere close to being a good man. But Jesus loves me. And he doesn't hold my failures over my head. And he doesn't hold my weaknesses over my head. He says, come on. Come all ye that are heavy laden. For I am meek and lowly and my burdens light. He says, come on, my yoke is easy. I'll help you. I'll give you anything you need. Just come to me. That's what he says. You see, it's such a blessing to know Thanksgiving's coming up. Because we can praise a a Savior that is alive and risen. We can serve a Savior who has accepted us even though we do not deserve it at all. And we can serve a Savior who is absolutely 100% able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. You want to know what's great about Thanksgiving? You want to know what's great about the good news of Christianity? Because it's mine. And if you're a saved person in this room today, it's yours too. It may be a phone call or an email at work. And so frequently the news tends to hurt. The hustle and bustle of everyday life, then one or two words can cut like a knife. On the freeway, it's the guy cutting you off or the policeman's judgment on whether you stopped. When you see every day, we are bombarded with news and more often than not, we tend to lose. But for a brief moment, let's take a glance at the one who died for all and gave us a fighting chance. It was an amazing thing that to the cross he would go but not as amazing as the follow-up show. Three days he spent behind a sealed stone, but my Lord could not be held there because up from the grave he arose. And if that's not great enough, he has overlooked all my past. His blood washed me clean as soon as I asked. While these are all awesome things, I still feel that the best part, his blood washed me, uh, is the Lord of all lives and abides within my heart. No priest, no temple, no steeple do I need. But when I bow my head, He hears all my pleas. Everyday life can sometimes bog us down with difficulties and stress. It will wear us to the ground. But next time you feel down and you're waiting for the next blow, remember these words, casting all your cares upon Him, for He careth for your soul. 